This episode of Behind the Bots is brought to you by Fingertech Robotics, North America's top manufacturer of combat robotics parts. If you're interested in building your first combat robot, check out Fingertech's Viper Kit, which includes everything you need to build a fully functional, competitive ant weight. Fingertech also carries a complete line of wheels, hubs, motors, and other components if you want to build a bot from the ground up. Check them out online at www.fingertechrobotics.com. From our living rooms, as we practice social distancing, this is Behind the Bots, the podcast that brings you the stories of the builders behind BattleBots. I'm Chris. I'm Luke. I'm Lindsay. And I'm Kyle. And today on the podcast, our interview with Mad Catter Captain Martin Mason. You're listening to Behind the Bots! It's on fire! It's on fire right now! (laughs) And we'll wrap up the show with this week's installment of Robots Around the World. If you like our show, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn, CastBox, Player FM, and Podbean. You can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at BehindTheBots, or you can check out our website at www.BehindTheBots.com. And tell a friend, we really appreciate your support. Time for this week's Combat Robotics News. I have eight news items for you today. First up, Witch Doctor Captain Andrea Galately and her husband Mike are taking on a new project, converting a 17,000-pound fully loaded ambulance into a camper van. The Galately's purchased a 2009 Chevrolet C4500 Kodiak ambulance on a government auction site and had it delivered from Texas to their home in South Florida. Over the past month, they've deep cleaned the interior and taken out the vinyl flooring, oxygen and vacuum connections, interior jump seats and squad bench, and put in new flooring, a tile backsplash, a very modern cabin-esque wooden wall, and a custom-engineered couch slash queen-size bed slash storage box. They said they had to take off the ambulance's official markings and register it as an RV, but fun fact, all the lights and sirens still work which is very handy for clearing out traffic at red lights. Andrea writes, quote, we've jumped into this head first and we're learning as we go. We've never done any of this. It's been a blast so far and it's given us purpose and something to look forward to while things around us are so uncertain. There's so much more in progress than what's shown here, like the bathroom, but that's a story for its own post in a week or two. Uh, Chris and Lindsay, Strange story. You are our resident camper conversion van experts. Is that correct? That is that is correct. Uh, Lindsay and I converted a, a 28 passenger uh, retirement community shuttle bus into a, an RV of our own. Uh, now, Chris, I I feel like I helped out a little bit, right? I mean. Uh... <laughs> Did I? Well, uh, let's see. I, I took. Oh, I got to drive it one time. All right, that was uh, that was fun. That's that's true. Um, I I, I like the idea though of uh, making it out of an ambulance instead of a retirement community shuttle bus. I mean, if they have a roadside emergency, they'll be there already with an ambulance. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right. So I'm I'm curious. You know, now now that you've gone through it, do you think if you were going to do it again? 
you would go with an ambulance, like a fire truck, a a bus. Like, how would you do it if you were going to go for a camper van 2.0? Ooh, that is a great question. Um, I liked how spacious the shuttle bus was. Uh, it's a little it's a little chunky to drive around city streets, but um, it's definitely probably easier. It's definitely easier to drive than like a school bus. Yeah, uh, I think the school buses. I mean. Unless you have like scooters or something on board, what do you think? Yeah, I mean that was really the only downside of the we had an E four fifty. Yeah. Um, and you know you didn't really want to drive it too much around like town streets. Um, I feel like it. I I mean I don't know. I feel like an ambulance is probably a little bit more compact. Yeah. So you might be trading a little bit of the spaciousness inside, but maybe it's more practical to drive around. Um, but honestly, looking at their photos, uh, really makes me Jones to do it again. Like, you know, keep me away from any auction website because I can't be trusted. I, uh, I want another bus and I want to do it all over again. (laughs) When I talked to Andrea, she, uh, she asked, uh, you and Chris to send her photos of your, uh, your camper conversion. So, uh, so get on it. I don't know. Maybe, maybe we can post some photos on, uh, on Facebook. I, I thought it was really cool. It was super popular. All of our friends and family loved it. Um, and, uh, we were all very sad when, uh, when you sold it, uh, last year. Speaking of which, Doctor, if you find yourself in Florida this week and would like to see the 2020 version of the robot in person, it's currently on display at the South Florida Science Center in West Palm Beach. Also on display, the team's giant bolt, which it won last year at Amazon Remars. The museum's power-up exhibit invites kids to fly drones, check out 3D printers, and an augmented reality sandbox. That exhibit is running now through September 13th. The new duck and rotator toys from Hexbugs began hitting Target store shelves across America this past week. They cost $50 each, and when I checked Target.com, it looked like my local store had them in stock. The YouTuber Angry Sloth Robotics got his hands on duck and rotator last week and posted a detailed review of both bots. A few highlights from that review. Rotator's two horizontal discs are powered by the same motor, which means when you crash into the arena wall, it can briefly stop both discs. Duck is a two-wheeled drive bot, which means if you aren't careful, it looks like you can lift the two front wheels off the ground with the lifter, which stops the bot's forward motion as the front wheels spin in the air. Despite that, both bots look really cool. I'm really looking forward to picking up the set. We'll include a link to the review in this week's show notes. Uh, Kyle, we just learned that we uh, we don't need a fancy YouTuber's review because you also have a duck and rotator this week. Isn't that correct? Yeah, I uh, my wife and I were in Target. It was her first time out of the house since uh, social distancing started. So like the 13th of uh, March. Whoa, that's a long time. And, uh, you know, so while we were outside of the house, we went to Target and we decided to go look at the toy section to talk about Christmas because that's what you do in the middle of summer when you're like, crap, we really got to get a head start on all that Christmas purchasing. Um, and we were walking through the toy aisle, and lo and behold, there it was, the Rivals kit uh, between Rotator and Duck, the Rivals that have never fought in actual BattleBots, which confuses me, but it is what it is. Um, 
and we brought it home. And instead of you know busting that out for Christmas, we bought some other things for Christmas. I won't say them on this podcast because my children do listen to this podcast. But these things we brought home and immediately gave them to the kids after they cleaned up the playroom and the living room to let them go after it. And um, of course, I decided that I wanted to go after it too because that's what you do. Uh, yes, you can lift up the two wheels with duck. Uh, one thing that I did notice is that I had to change the batteries out on both of the bots. They come with batteries and the batteries had enough charge in them to like kind of show what the bots did, but you needed to change the batteries before you got a full, a few, a full view of what those bots can do. Uh, can duck lift itself off the wheels? Yes. Can, uh, duck lift up other robots? Yes, but you have to change the batteries mm. first. Um, Duck's really powerful. It's really cool. It's pretty hard to knock the both of the wheels off because you're, the spinners that you're fighting uh, all spin in one direction. So it's pretty easy to knock like the left wheel off of Duck, but it's pretty hard to get the right wheel off of him. Uh, and as far as Rotator goes, I see no flaw in Rotator. Rotator is, as far as I'm concerned, the perfect horizontal spinner hexbug bot. I don't really care really? that the weapons are both run off of the same motor. It's fine. Like, that's just the limitations that you get with AAA batteries as your power source on a bot that size. Um, but it's perfect. It's fun. I like the fact that you could use its blades on the build your own battle bots. Um, we really like them. The kids really like them. And uh, the other cool thing about Rotator is it is just like its, its brethren, completely invertible. So it's really fun to play with against uh, Bronco because you can flip it as many times as you want and it doesn't actually mean anything. So Kyle, you now own every single one of these sets. Yep. Uh, I know because I've seen them. I've, I've played played with your, your hex bugs. Um, rank them like these new, uh, these, these two new bots, where do they sit? You know, uh, if you had to choose a top one, top two, top three. Um, you could very easily put them, so Rato Rotator, I would say, would be top three, probably okay. right behind Bronco. Okay. Uh, and Duck would probably be fourth or fifth. The first, okay. Bite Force is the best one. You just, yeah. you can't knock all the armor off Bite Force. It's really yeah. annoying. It's basically yeah. like Odd Job on GoldenEye, using Bite Force is cheating. <laughs> Um, I, I, I love the look of Hexbug's duck. It looks beautiful. It looks so thin. And when you take the top off of it, it looks beautiful inside, which is funny to say for a tiny little plastic toy, but it just looks just gorgeous. Yeah, they did a great job with both of these, especially duck, but they did a really good job. Speaking of Duck, Team Captain Hal Rucker this week posted episode five of his How to Build a Duck video series, giving fans a sneak peek of the bot's new and improved lifting beak. As you recall, in the 2019 season, Duck moved its lifting arms to the center of the bot, which protected its two front wheels and allowed for 360 degrees of motion, allowing the bot to do celebratory jump ropes after winning a match. But the lifter had problems. First, every time it got hit, Duck's lifter would backdrive its gearbox. The judges failed to award damage or aggression points when Duck would hammer its opponents with the tip of its lifting beak. 
and it had a tendency to jump rope on occasion inside of the middle of a match. The solution this year will be a dramatically redesigned lifter that looks like an actual beak, capable of opening and closing like a pair of jaws. It's a really interesting design choice. I'm curious to see how it changes the bot strategy and whether this new beak will score damage and aggression points in the box. Um, Kyle and Chris, I, <laughs> I, I admit I don't... Uh, Hal Rucker is just so much smarter than all of us, so I know there's a lot of thinking that went into this beak. It took me some time to kind of understand how this changes the dynamics of Duck. Both of you picked up on it faster. I would love to get your thoughts rather than hearing my very uninformed kind of take on, on the new lifting beak. So uh, A, the engineering in this thing is of course gorgeous. Um, I love the fact that it quacks. That is not something that we were expecting from, if you're a BattleBot supporter, that's not something that you, you were expecting to see. Um, so that's pretty neat. And I think, you know, we were having some discussion before we started recording about the practicality of it. I think it does have some pretty practical applications. Um, Chris, one of the things you were talking about was the torque that you can get from the, the initial lift of the beak. Can you expand on that a little bit? Yeah, I mean, when you look in the video, you, you see that it operates very differently than you would expect like a pneumatic grabber to work. Uh, it, it, there, there's a set of, uh, of rollers that come off of a single axle that goes through the center of the beak and into the, into the body. And there are two like round rollers that essentially as the, uh, as the torque causes the two round objects to kind of rotate in orientation, uh, it will, it'll press up off of the ground or the bottom beak. So, um, you know, as much torque as you're able to put in is how strong your lifter is. So. It's it's crazy because the beak itself is three weapons in one. It's it's kind of a, a lifter, like a ramp style lifter. It's it could be a grabber, but it also could be a sumo if the beak is able to both lift and then open, uh, because it would extend itself twice as far. Uh, I'm really curious to see how it'll work or how resilient it is to taking a. Uh, like a shot across the beak from uh, you know a, a horizontal or vertical spinner. Yeah, it's got a little bit of that original sin free shipping vibe with kind of the three separate kind of points of the wedge, and then they they have that initial control lift right. So you have that like that either the beak opening or you have the initial like lift of the entire beak mechanism to get your opponent up off the ground. Right. To which then you could drive them into a wall, drive them into the screws, drive them into whatever, and then you complete the lift and right. actually just flip them into whatever you're dealing with. I think that from a control bot, lift bot situation, it's pretty smart. Yeah, I think like if 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 Hal ends up getting you cornered and uh, and you're up against the the wall, uh, you're totally flocked. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think he's going to pluck a lot of the competition this year. Oh! On over to the UK, where Beta Captain John Reed showed off a new electromagnet system, which is designed to engage every time he throws his bot's hammer, planting the bot firmly on the floor. Let's head over to Team Malice, where teammate Isaac Mahlers is building a tiny plastic one-pound version of the bot to compete with at local Antweight events. 
The new bot looks so cool. We're really looking forward to seeing video of it in action. Looks like uh, Isaac took it to an event this past weekend. In related news, Team Malice also showed off photos of the two versions of the robot they're bringing to the 2020 season, writing that the differences between the first and second iterations are noticeable, writing, quote, the difference in extra two months gives you in the appearance and feel of a robot are astounding. The top robot was made on a short deadline. The bottom, we were able to take our time and do correct every step. And finally, RoboGames founder David Calkins wrote an incredible eulogy for his friend, Grant Imahara, who died this month at the age of 49. Grant was a robot builder at heart and competed on the original run of BattleBots, helped out at RoboGames, and appeared as a guest judge on the reboot of the show. In the eulogy, which was published this week in Servo Magazine, David writes, quote, The trail he left, as all comets do, can be seen more for the countless points of light trailing it rather than the single star at the front. There are hundreds of stories of Grant's generosity, just like the sparkling dots of light left in a comet's wake. He was rare and unique, fitting seamlessly into whatever group of people he encountered. Like a comet, his presence in the sky was all too short, but never to be forgotten. He stood apart in a field of endless stars, and it's his light that will be remembered. And that's it for this week's news. After the break, our interview with Mad Catter Captain Martin Mason. This week on the podcast, we have a very special guest, Mad Catter Captain Martin Mason. Martin is an engineering and physics professor at Mount San Antonio College in Walnut, California. He spearheaded the development of the school's full-featured Mountie Makerspace, which has tools, machines, and dedicated areas for woodworking, metalworking, welding, and its own clean room. In 2007, Martin started Mount San Antonio's robotics team and grew it into a world-class program, going to the VEX Robotics World Championship nearly every year since. In 2010, the team won the VEX Robotics World Championships. Combat Robotics fans know Martin for his colorful wrestling persona as the captain of the Mad Catter Hammerbot that was split into pieces during its match last season with Railgun Max and later in the U.S. versus U.K. exhibition match with Monsoon and Ragnarok. Martin previously competed in China on King of Bots with the Cat King, which bears a striking resemblance to Warhawk. We're looking forward to getting into all these topics in our hour ahead, so welcome to the show, Professor Mason. Uh, thank you very much. <laughs> um, so, Martin, we're very excited to talk to you. We, um, we talk about you on this show all the time. Uh, we love your persona. We love the fact that you're involved in, like, a million teams, it feels like. Um, so, yeah, we're excited to get into everything. We wanted to talk to you a little bit about your life outside of combat robotics, outside of BattleBots. Um, so can you tell us a little bit about what you do, how long you've been doing it? Uh, let's see. Well, I think I, I kind of split my time between doing the, uh, the combat robots, but uh, I also spent a lot of time doing experimental high-power rocketry. Uh, I'm a part of a group called Sugar Shot to Space. And, and don't go porno on me there, please, folks. What we're doing is we're building a space-capable vehicle using potassium nitrate and sorbitol uh, as a propellant. We have done a variety of, of scale launches. We're going to be test-firing 130 pounds of propellant this Saturday. 
uh, I'm part of a group called Friends of Amateur Rocketry out in the Mojave Desert. So, you know, if, if you happen to be flying over the Mojave and you see a big white cloud, that wasn't us. Um, okay, so what do these like meetups look like? Do you guys just get together at the in the Mojave Desert and uh, you know you pick like a GPS coordinates and you all show up with your own individual things and you like test out everybody's design there? Is it like kind of a competitive atmosphere, or do you all like come with parts of the same robot how, or same same rocket rather? How does that work? Well, okay, that's a, that's a great question. No, I mean just like doing. Building a battle bot, one person can't do it by themselves. So, so these are these are collaborative projects, uh, and I, I typically focus on doing avionics. I've been doing a lot of, uh, of, of composite work, but uh, typically we'll have six or eight people. Uh, we'll have one person who's a propellant specialist. Typically, one of the things about Southern California is there's a huge rocketry community here uh, between all the the small aerospace startups. Uh, Virgin, Maston, there's all kinds of energy going on here. A lot of young people coming out of aerospace engineering school, going to work at the Mojave uh, Spaceport, plus all the work that's happening in Long Beach. Uh, one thing you may not realize, the studio that BattleBots is filmed in is filmed at the same location as where Virgin does a lot of engine development for, uh, for next generation rocket. Uh, so there's all this, there's all these people, when you get a lot of people with a lot of energy, these things happen. So, you know, it's, it's, um, no, it's not a bunch of people meeting out in the desert. Uh, we have a five acre facility that's in the, uh, in the Edwards Air Force, uh, exclusion zone. So we use their airspace for testing. Uh, we have six test stands, um, that are designed to accommodate up to, uh, about a 600 pound solid fuel rocket. Um, and, we at this facility we've done everything from Mythbusters testing episodes, Mythbusters episodes. Uh, you know, anytime somebody the, the last big project we did was uh, the Facebook commercial uh, for the Super Bowl where they had some rockets there. So kind of anything solid fuel rocket related is going to get done out there. Uh, that's incredible, and that's a really cool kind of. So this is like your your side hustle. This is what you do when you're not teaching and you're not robot fighting. Yeah, I try to do as little work as possible. Uh, <laughs> I think to do BattleBots, you either have to be self-employed or independently wealthy. So I try to do both of those. Now I do, I do work at the college, uh, and you know that does kind of take up uh, about thirty weeks a year. Uh, but I was, I was, I'll tell you what, I was, uh, I was department chair for seven years, and. Um, Boy, that really that really eats up eats up your time. So uh, I've been fortunate to to stop being department chair, go back to being a faculty member, and I I've been on a, I've been working on this grant to start the makerspace on campus. I tell you a little bit about that. Uh, about eight years ago now, uh, I was part of a community group. Now you may not be real aware, but um, Mount Sac is a community college, it's a two-year technical college. We share a border with uh, Cal Poly Pomona, which is one of the big engineering schools in the state. Uh, and we had a lot of folks that were graduating from college and didn't have a shop to work in. So we started a makerspace. And as you know, the makerspace movement is, has gone crazy. They're all over the country. Uh, we started a private makerspace in a local industrial shop, a local industrial space. Uh, and we've been growing that. But 
about uh, three years ago, I wrote a grant to get the college a makerspace, and then I've really been focused on that. Uh, and I, I really wanted to build something that wasn't, you know, you go to some of these makerspaces, and they've got, what do they got? They got a 3D printer, they got a button maker, and they got a broken Dremel. You know, and that's not what I wanted. I wanted something where you could build anything. I, honestly, I wanted a shop where I could build BattleBot. So <laughs> that's what we did. We focused on welding, machining. There's woodworking in there. There is a digital fabrication space. But we want people to feel like they could make absolutely anything in this space. And we leave it open not just to the students and the staff and the faculty, but also community members. So we get all kinds of folks running small businesses out of the space. It's been a really good thing for our community. Part of the mission of being a community college is bringing the community into it, giving them a place to do work. So that's, that's been something we've done. The other thing it's done is it's given us a venue to run more combat robot events. And, <laughs> you know, that's, that's, of course, a big part of this. And, and it kind of, you know, combat robots, one of the great things about it is, is it, there is this huge focus on fabrication and people making stuff. And I, I'm a huge believer that people need to make things themselves. Yeah. And combat robots, you've got no choice. And not just, and I'll, I'll tell you a little bit of history of me. Uh, if you go back 30 years ago, I was doing Demolition Derby. And Demolition Derby, for me, was a very natural transition into combat robots. <laughs> and, and what I loved about Demolition Derby was not just building the car, but also the, the repairs you had to make in that very short time interval between taking it out there, getting it smashed, radiators gone, back wheels are gone, you got to get it running and you got about 30 minutes. So what can you do with a come along, a sledgehammer, a roll of duct tape to get that car up and running again? And I got to say, Combat Robot has that same energy. That's one of the things I love about it. Uh, yeah. You know what? I got to watch a lot of demolition derby growing up. I lived in rural Missouri and that was at the county fair and at the state fair every year. And it was my favorite thing. And I was always really impressed with how quickly those guys could turn around a car. Um, I mean, that's, that's amazing experience. I've made that mental connection before. It's really cool to hear like a team captain make that same connection between derby and battle bots. That's phenomenal. Um, so you, your VEX Robotics team at, at uh, Mount San Antonio, can you tell us about how that got started, um, you know, kind of what you're doing with that now, and are they involved in the makerspace as well? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, let's see. Well, I got to go back to, to 2007. That's a long time ago. Uh, let's see. So uh, VEX, I'm going to say, really got started in California out of Cal State Northridge, um, and one of the faculty members there was really involved in, in kind of getting Vex off the ground. That was, that was Tarek was the name of the fellow. And he's since moved on to work for Vex. Uh, I saw Vex as a great opportunity for my uh, freshman and sophomore students to get their hands on something. Uh, I really, you know, at, at that time we didn't have the fabrication facilities. And Vex gives you a kit of parts and gives you different problems to solve. The other thing I really liked about it was how iterative it was. Uh, you know, you're gonna, you're not just gonna compete once. You're gonna compete over and over and over again over a season, and you're gonna see your design evolve. And that was something I felt was really a critical engineering lesson: is that the first one you build is not the end; it's just the starting point. So uh, I'm trying to th think it out to tell you that story. Uh, 
at that time, Vex was being carried at Radio Shack. And uh, Radio Shack had made the decision that Vex wasn't a good seller for them. So they were blowing out all the Vex parts they had for, I don't know, 50% off, 66% off, crazy low prices. So I drove around Southern California. I went to six different Radio Shacks. I bought all the Vex kit they had, brought them back, dumped them on a big group of students, and that's how we started the Vex team. So that, that first year, they just took those kits, they put something together. We had uh, some, uh, w one of the kids' cousins was a, one of these competitive video gamers. He was an amazing driver, drove the bot, and uh, the kids just had a great time doing it. That's how it got started. I took a, uh, I took a year sabbatical to go to, to England, the University of Plymouth, uh, to work in their Center for, uh, let's see, Robotics and Cognitive Studies. And uh, while I was there, I was obviously focusing on, on learning a lot more about robotics. Uh, and coming back from that sabbatical, I was able to bring a lot more to the team. But we've used the VEX team as really just a great stepping stone. We get freshman students, sophomore students coming in. They don't know anything about, uh, about robots, programming, electronics even how things are fastened together, turn them loose, and they can kind of go from zero to 60 in, in a couple of months. And, you know, it, it kind of gets to be a franchise, right? You get alumni that stay involved. You get people that are in their second and third year. They help the new people. And it just becomes a ladder to move people uh, into engineering and technology fields. Um. That sounds like an incredible thing to be a part of and what a cool thing to start at your school. And I love that you think of it as like a stepping stone program. That's really cool. That's really, really cool. Um, so can you tell us about, I know that BattleBots is like the all-consuming hobby, you know, takes over everything. Uh, and I know you've told us about your side, your side career as a rocketeer. Is that the right terminology? Could we call you a rocketeer? <laughs> fair <laughs> fair fair um so what are, do you have any other hobbies outside of those two those two kind of loves robotics and, and rocketry uh you know i i uh you know we talked i, I guess I, I spend a lot of my time doing property management uh i have a bunch of properties that we rent out and i do all the maintenance on those i have a cabin up in uh, up on mount baldy and i think every place has got a mount baldy uh, ours is a, the fancy name for Mount San Antonio. Uh, so I really enjoy, you know, getting up there. There's, uh, you know, I've only got like six meg DSL up there. So you're almost completely cut off from the world. Um, so, you know, it's, it's getting out into the outdoors. I like to do hiking, backpacking, whenever I get the chance. Nice. Yes. Uh, applying a lot of the same engineering skills to that as, as I imagine. Um, okay. So let's get into combat robotics. When did you first get started in this crazy brain virus of combat robotics? <laughs> well, uh, I think I'll go back. Uh, I was going to robo games, uh, for years and I'm going to say probably about, I, I think I started going to RoboGames maybe about 2008, probably 2007. And, but I, I wasn't doing combat robots there. Uh, I was doing 
bipedal humanoids. And uh, so I was, I was really involved in my, my, uh, my work in England was on, on locomotion and, and gates for bipedal robots. Uh, I worked with the Korean company on the, the DARPA Grand Challenge uh, for uh, rescue robotics and making bipedal humanoids uh, a few years ago. But that, so that was really my, my research focus at that time. And, you know, but I believe research that sits in a lab isn't worth squat. You got to take it out and put it into competition. And at that time, RoboGames was the place to go in the United States for bipedal robot competition. But, you know, you're at RoboGames, you got your two-legged robot, it's doing, you know, it's doing races, it's doing line tries, doing all kinds of stuff. But 200 feet away, there's this madness going on in this giant combat arena. And, you know, you can't, you can't help but notice that. So uh, I saw that. And I, the, other, the other competition I was doing at RoboGames with a group of students was called Robo Magellan. That's a, uh, it's an autonomous navigation competition where you're in an outdoor field, you're trying to do simultaneous localization and mapping and solve all these difficult problems in a real world environment. Um, we were doing that competition and some of the guys on that team were watching the combat robots and saying, you know, we should be doing this. And I said, well, you know, I don't, I guess I don't see why not. So that next year, uh, we came back and I said, you know what we're going to do for our uh, our sophomore uh, uh, electronics course, we're going to have, instead of doing the standard uh, final project where you're building a color organ or, or you know, some kind of musical effects pedal, you're going to build a combat robot. And so I, I contacted uh, RCX, which is a big remote control expo, uh, here in Southern California, and I said, hey, here's the deal. We're going to do this combat robot event. Uh, give us space at your show, and we're going to put on a, a heck of a show for you. And so I said, okay, we'll give you some space. So uh, I uh, I built an arena. I, I didn't build an arena. I paid some of my students to build an arena. <laughs> uh, a couple of guys worked at a uh, an industrial uh, bagging company. So they, they manufactured the arena for us, and uh, – and we took it out to RCX, and man, we just had a great time. We had about uh, about 20 student bots, and um, you know, just huge, crazy crowd watching this. Now, these were all antwits. Keep that in mind. These are one-pound robots, and uh, we did this event. And you know, who sh who do we see at this event? But uh, but Jeff Vasquez from Team Fast Electric. He's there with Jason and Matt uh, from Team Whiplash. And oh, actually, Team Fast Electric Robots, you guys all know them from Whiplash. They're yep. there, and they're like, holy smokes, you guys are doing combat robots. We want to do this. Man, This we, we used to do this back in the day. So, you know, we said, all right, tell you what, we're going to start running events again. And uh, and so we did. We started running events, uh, you know, about every three months or so. Uh, we, we put the arena together, get everybody to come around. And uh, Matt and Jason would always bring bots. My daughter was building at that point aggressively. Uh, a bunch of people, uh, Tommy Thomas, who's, who's been a big part of, uh, of Team Bad Kitty, Mrs. Indiola, who went with us to China. Uh, a lot of these guys, local guys, started building, competing, and uh, kind of trying to build up a, a Southern California scene. Um, and, you know, at that point... 
uh, BattleBots wasn't on the air, so the, the place to go was to go to RoboGames. Now, I, I really took the advice to heart of building insects first. And uh, so I built uh, a variety, you know, ant weights, beetle weights. And, you know, at that point, I was, I was all into to drum spinners. Man, I just, you know, UHMW, easy to work with, with woodworking tools, um, you know, one pound, three pound drum spinner, spinners. Uh, but, you know, kind of the meta in Southern California moved to being vertical spinners pretty quickly because they were just so dominant. Uh, so I, I started building, uh, building one and three pound verticals. But, you know, about that same time, something else happened down here, and that was uh, the National Technical Machinists Association. They, uh, they said, you know what? We need more people in Southern California to go into machining. We got this huge aerospace industry, and they can't hire anybody to, uh, to work in the shops. So, you know, they were, they were really looking for a way to try to recruit more people into machining and fabrication. So, uh, they got a bunch of money together from the Haas Foundation, uh, and they, uh, they got an arena built. And, man, this, this wasn't just any arena. It's a 15-pound it's arena, 8 feet tall. It's the, uh, you know, it's, it's a decagon, and, uh, man, this thing is great. And we started, uh, uh, I won't say we, uh, NTMA, the local chapter, started running 15-pound events in that arena, um, and that was coordinated by, uh, by Richard, who was on, um, let's see, Richard was on Disco Inferno for season two, ABC, uh, and then he was involved with, um, with John from Megabyte's team, in, uh, in all the China shows. Um, so he was the one who was running the, uh, the 15 pound events. Uh, and that kind of really got a lot of energy going. My students who'd been at, uh, at, at RoboGames got to build 15 pounders. And uh, that was their first, you know, they built the robot called Sacrifice um, and, you know, Mount Sacrifice, whatever you want. Uh, and fought that for the first season. Uh, the Vasquez's were involved. A lot of other local builders, Mark Liu, uh, who was also involved with, uh, with the Megabyte team. Uh, all these local folks were building and fighting 15-pounders, along with lots of community college, high school groups. Uh, and so we kind of got a nice 15-pound lead going. And I got to say, uh, oh, I want to. I'm going to give a shout out to to, to Brad Hempstead. Brad did the announcing. He also designed the first kit uh, for those 15 pounders. Got a lot of the local high schools in by uh, by building that kit. Um, and Brad was just really instrumental in the Southern California scene. You know, he he announced countless events. I can't, I can't even keep track of how many events he announced. Uh, and you know, if you've ever heard Brad on live stream, he is. He is the best. He is the king of robot announcing as far as I'm concerned. So, you know, you can kind of hear this progression, right? One pound, three pounds, 15 pounds. All right, well, where do we go next, right? We got to <laughs> keep going up. So, uh, so I built a, uh, I built a 30 pound vertical, um, and ran that at RoboGames. And, you know, then I'm, I'm really starting to get into this, to this brushless thing. Uh, and you know, all four wheel brushless drive using hobby RC motors, reprogrammed ESCs, man, I'm loving the brushless motors. 
um, brushless on the weapon, 30 pounds with all brushless everything. That was a great little robot. Some minor teasing problems, but uh, that robot went on to um, to Vincent. Uh, oh boy, Vincent, I'm going to say code. I'm going get to get the name of his team wrong. He's going to be pissed at me. But uh, so, you know, then uh, then we built uh, built a 60-pound. No, I guess we did. That wasn't a 30-pound. That was a 60-pound. Dang. Memory gets tired. Yeah, that was a 60-pound all brushless. And then I'll tell you what. Uh, probably one of my favorite robots of all time. Uh, I met Alex Horn a couple times at uh, at the NTMA Nationals, and Alex Alex was just one of the kings of two wheel drive verticals. And uh, so he'd uh, and I guess I'm kind of leaving out some bigger bot stuff in here because I just got so excited about the about working with Alex. But uh, so Alex. Had, had built a gorgeous little 15-pounder vertical, two-wheel drive, and he used vibration isolators to separate the drive pod from the weapon pod. But the idea was that, you know, you got a vertical, you hit something, you're going down into the ground, they're going up in the air. Well, you lose control. You lose your ability to drive for a couple of seconds while your robot's bouncing around. But if we can isolate the two, we can keep those wheels on the ground maintain control. So uh, Alex had built this great little bot. I talked to Alex and I said, Alex, why don't we build a middleweight version of, uh, of your 12 pound? And uh, that was going to be his uh, senior project. And so we collaborated on this. I did, he, he did the CAD. I went back and forth with him on it. Uh, let's see. Now, I, I made the weapon out here. Gosh, I don't even remember. Either I made the weapon and he treated it. He heat treated it anyway. We were shipping parts back and forth in, uh, in UPS flat rate boxes. Now, you can get 75 pounds in a UPS flat rate box if it's a big chunk of steel. So we were <laughs> shipping parts back and forth between the two of us. Got that robot b- built. Took it to, uh, to RoboGames. Had a great time with it. Took it all the way. Uh, lost in the uh, in the I think in the quarterfinals if I remember um, of the 120 division and man that is a, a competitive competitive field there but just had a heck of a time with that. Now what I what I left out was um, was ABC season two. So I told you I've been involved with uh, with Brad and doing all the local events here. Yep. And when ABC season two was going to film. Uh, we were talking about doing a robot, and uh, Brad has worked with with Ted for years, and and Ted has been been doing BattleBots uh, since since the beginning. Now he's he's you know was in almost every one of the Comedy Central seasons, uh, and so Brad was able to talk Ted into coming out of retirement uh, if he could get some people. So so Brad got me myself and Tommy Thomas. To, uh, to work with Ted on the fabrication. And that was the uh, that was Bad Kitty that we ran in season two. Now, one of the things about Brad and Ted is, is particularly Ted really likes to do a, an all uh, carbon fiber composite construction. And, um, and, and Ted is a, uh, you know, this, this becomes art as opposed to engineering. So it's, it's a really different way that I'm used to doing things. I'm used to, you know, working from a full set of drawings, and 
realizing that we are going to have to do some grinding after we weld, but pretty much we want the holes to line up. But when you're doing composite, and I know this from the rocket work, it, it's not how it works out. So we built Bad Kitty over a period of about, uh, probably about six weeks. And it was largely based off of Ted and Brad's, really Ted's VD6, which was their, uh, their heavyweight uh, vertical spinner that was in Robo Games. And it was also in the, uh, the brief, there was some kind of brief BattleBots reboot that I don't even know made the air, but I know they filmed a bunch of fights for it. Um, so they built VD6 for that. We used the weapon off of VD6, um, and they, they, we had a, let's see, Ted had a bunch of E-Tech motors, so we were using an old-style uh, E-Tech to run that motor, uh, to run that weapon, weapon. Uh, and let's see. The, I guess the big thing was going from sort of comedy central area battle bots to now is batteries change, right? So I was yep. like, you know what? We're going to go all uh, uh, lithium iron batteries on this, get the crazy current. That E-Tech was always current starved, but, uh, you know, what kind of ESC can handle the uh, candle current? Of course, nothing could. So we were able to get, uh, get Gigavac to donate some of their giant military contactors and we ran that e-tech off of uh off of let's see i think it was 12 s uh lithium iron batteries into a into a 2000 amp contactor and man that thing just just spun every time um but uh it, looking at bad kitty you know it was an all composite robot built around one steel pipe that was uh that was down the middle of it and it was a four-wheel drive vertical spinner. And I, and I want to give Ted credit. He's been doing four-wheel drive vertical spinners for longer than anybody. And I'm not going to say he was the first guy to do it, but VD6 was one of the original robots of that, uh, of that character. Um, so one steel pipe down the back of the robot. Mounted in that pipe were two big DC motors that were designed to operate the self-riders. Uh, and then it was a four-wheel drive, uh, let's see, short mags inside, uh, we, we, oh boy, I remember the biggest pain in the butt on that robot was casting the tires. We, we vulcanized our own tires, and I'll tell you what, vulcanizing tires in a toaster oven, man, that is, that is <laughs> something I would never recommend you do. Vulcanized our own tires, but man, that robot had crazy traction, but I'll say another thing, short mags into a chassis that big is really pushing things. So yeah, big, I want to say they were 12 inch vulcanized tires. Um, we had belt drive to, uh, to smaller Colson's in the front. Uh, but I think, you know, with a lot of season two, everybody was rushing and rushing and rushing. And so were we, uh, and that robot just never got to the point of fit and finish that it was, that it needed to run. Right. I mean, it, I'll say it moved the weapon spun, but, uh, it was it was one of those things that was probably at thirty percent when we put it in the arena. Yeah. Um, so you know that that was. Uh, but I'll say uh, season two was a ton of fun. Uh, ABC treated everybody really well, and I'll say the, the the shows are you know always treat the builders. I think they treat us really well. Uh, and on that one, my daughter was with us. She built a little. Uh, UHMW 15 pound, and um, and I'll say 
gosh, what are some, uh, uh, oh boy, uh, behind the scenes stuff. She built that robot, but they wouldn't let her work on it because they wouldn't let miners in the pits at that point. So she had to do all her, her repairs in the cafeteria area. So she and mainly uh, Carissa uh, and Hannah helped too. Hannah, uh, but the, the three gals worked on that robot. I think, I think, I think it had, yeah, yeah, Hannah was definitely there with Ringmaster that year. Yep. They worked on that robot in the, uh, in the cafeteria, which I just thought was the craziest thing. But, uh, you know, that robot, you know, did what it moved. It did what it was supposed to do. Uh, she had a good time with it. Um, so yeah, that was, that was season two. Definitely. We were not happy with our performance. Um, and I think it was just, you know, short timelines. I, I, you know, I'll say I'm an engineering professor, which means one of the things you learn as a professor is you start things when, when you know the parameters. And uh, one of the things we've always prided ourselves in our team is being, you know, as, as crazy as we may seem, we try to be very prepared. You'll see lots of spares, lots of extra parts, lots of, uh, you know, we usually build two, three chassis. We've got another chassis and flat pack parts under the table. Um, and, and we've all, you know, particularly as the robots have gotten larger and larger, we've tried to be more and more prepared for, uh, for the events. So let's see, I took you through um, doing, you know, running an Antweight event at RCX probably, I don't know, probably 2008 or so, maybe, maybe a year, within a year or so of that, um, doing the insects, the 15s, um, moving to working with Team Think Tank, uh, with Brad and Ted, uh, and then, you know, I just kept doing robo games after that, uh, doing, you know, after the experience of season two, I built the 60 and then the 120. Um, you want me to keep going or you want, you want to interject with a question? Well, I want to interject this one question because, um, you know, you brought up some interesting kind of outlying points that go to this. So at one point, Pam was trying to help me understand this relationship and she brought you in on a Facebook chat with me so that we could like kind of help clarify it. But if you could go ahead and clarify this relationship with our, with our uh, listeners. So team think tank, oh, team dead kitty, team ghetto logic, team food fight and Western allied robotics. Are like a family of BattleBots teams essentially, right? Like, so explain that relationship. Yeah, so, okay, uh, I've gone up to, I'd gone up to war events, uh, and, you know, gotten to know the Robs, and, uh, and I really think, you know, I want to give Emmanuel Carrillo all the credit. He is, he is the primary design inspiration between, you know, behind way more robots out there than you can possibly imagine. Uh, but I'll, I'll start with that story. Uh, Emmanuel and I were at, uh, we were at AVC. So that's Casey Coods ran, ran a, uh, a, an event in uh, Colorado uh, for several years. And it was a great event. Uh, I went, I've gone to AVC almost every year as a, originally with the autonomous vehicles, but then with the combat robots. And that event kept getting bigger and bigger. So Emmanuel went one year. He and I were, were sitting in the lobby of the hotel. Uh, shooting the breeze all night as, as builders often do. And, you know, we started talking and I said, you know, we should build a heavyweight robot. 
And at this point, we weren't thinking about BattleBots. We were just thinking about RoboGames. And I said, you know what? Let's build a heavyweight robot. I'll build it. You design it. And, you know, we'll get it done. And uh, I had faith in Emmanuel being able to design it. He had faith in me being able to build it. Uh, so we started work on, and, and I, you know, I'll say, Emmanuel's well known for his vertical spinners. Pizza Cutter is uh, a champion antweight that is just, you know, it dominated the, the West Coast for years. Um, and so he, and, and I'll say, you know, when we were going to Robo Games, my guys, we, you know, Southern California, we were always looking at what he was doing with his verticals to see what was going on. So we had a lot of admiration for Emmanuel. Uh, so he's, we started design on this robot, uh, this heavyweight, and I'm going to get to answer your question. Don't worry. So we started design on this robot, and we were doing a lot of uh, kind of live SolidWorks conferencing. The design was going really well. Um, and at that time, I started talking to John from Megabyte because there was a Chinese TV show called This is Fighting Robots that was going to film. And, uh, and John had done King of Bots 1. And he said, you know, you got to do this. You got to do this Chinese TV show. So I'd done the 120 pound. I sent the Chinese folks uh, a bunch of footage of my 120 pound fight. And they were like, man, we, we got to have you. Your robot is awesome. So uh, I was then not just building for RoboKids. Now I was building for This is Fighting Robots. And, you know, kind of the design inspirations for that robot were uh, – Vertical, you know, four-wheel drive vertical, because that's what, what I'd done with, with Team Think Tank, and that's what we've done in the in the Ants and the Beatles, right? The year is now, you know, this is, I guess we started this design process probably three and a half years ago. Um, that was the competitive, and I think it still is the competitive meta. Uh, the other thing we wanted to do was continue the vibration isolators I'd used in the 120. I really believed that improved drivability and control in the vertical, being able to separate the weapon module from the drive modules. Credit to, to Alex Horn for, for doing that, showing that it was successful design of the 120 pound. So those were kind of the two design inputs. That first robot was designed around very traditional technology, right? Long mag motors on drive, E-Tech on weapon, uh, VEX BBs, just super simple, reliable stuff. Um, so we designed that robot. I fabricated, uh, two of them and, oh, and I'll throw in one other piece of history. Uh, I was talking to, uh, oh boy. Uh, let's see. Come on, brain. Uh, Adam, uh, Adam from MIT. Help me out here, folks. Uh, vertical. Berku. Thank you, Adam Burke. <laughs> All right. So Adam was selling off parts from his season two bot. And so I said, I'll tell you what, Adam, sell me all the weapons from your season two bot. Uh, and, you know, they'll, they'll get used. I was buying them to use in my RoboGames bot. So I bought Adam's, uh, I bought two discs from them. There was an AR disc uh, and some kind of heat treated, um, uh, steel disc, uh, some kind of 4000 series, and then I bought two bars from them. And one of them was pretty trashed from being tombstoned, and if you, you'll remember that fight. Uh, but all the weapons from that bot ended up with me, and so we ran 
one of his desks and one of his bars, those became the weapons for uh, the first revision of Cat King. So we kind of were designing around the weapons that Adam had had made. Um, now, I was making new police and we were doing, you know, different variations. But basically, those were those two weapons. Um, I built two robots. Now, BattleBots gets picked up. I'm committed to go to This Is Fighting Robots in China. But I say, well, okay, can't be in two places at once. They're scheduled to film at the same time. So, you know, I knew Emmanuel's up in Seattle. I knew the Robs. And I said, all right, here's the deal. We've got a design. We've got a robot built. You guys can, can uh, and, and I'll tell you what, I'll even uh, call my laser cutter and I'll get you guys a flat pack of steel shipped up to build another, to build another chassis uh, if you guys want to do BattleBots. And the Rob, yeah, yeah, that that sounds pretty good. Didn't take a lot of convincing to convince the Robs and Kevin uh, to want to do that. Um, they recruited some more folks, and so that's how how Warhawk was. And, and, and to be fair, I sent Greg some video of my second chassis going around smashing stuff uh, in the you know in our test area um, at the makerspace. Which reminds me of safe testing, folks. Uh, you know, about 15 years ago, we had a local bomb test facility. This is LA, remember, right? So we had a local bomb test facility go out of, go out of business. So they were auctioning off uh, legitimate bomb test panels. So I have two bomb test panels with inch and a half thick polycarb uh, shields backed up by steel bases. Uh, and whenever we're going to do a test, so you may see the robot out roaming around, but keep in mind, we're behind these two bomb test panels before we do anything. So, folks, you know, please test your robot safely and responsibly. Uh, so I, I sent Greg some video of, uh, of our spare chassis running around. He loved it. Uh, you know, we got Rob in as the captain because I wasn't going to be around. Uh, but, yeah, Warhawk was just a... You know, it, it departed at that point, but um, it was Cat King 1.0 as of, uh, boy, whatever, you know, whatever time of year that was. And then Rob uh, Purdy, uh, he welded up a new chassis, um, and then they got, to, got busy assembling it. It was made out of lots of bits and pieces of, uh, of old robots that Pharaoh had and Purdy had. Uh, they had mag motors. They bought some parts. Uh, but Warhawk was, yeah, was just originally going to be spare chassis. And then, um, and then Purdy made a whole new, uh, a whole new chassis, uh, for Warhawk. But same modular design. You kind of saw that, that, that U of, uh, of vibration isolators. Oh, and, uh, we made the, so one of the team members for that year, uh, Josh, he came down to my shop for a week. That's right. He came down and stayed with me for a week, and we machined like mad. I remember that. And we made a ton of parts for Warhawk, including boring that weapon out to take the bushings that we were going to run, because we felt like the original bushings that Berku was running weren't, uh, weren't sufficient. So we beefed up the, uh, the bushings. Um, I'd broken a, uh, a weapon axle on the 120-pound and that was a nightmare. I remember running around trying to find a piece of steel, 
using uh, Jim Ye's lathe late at night. I sent Vincent over to do that, so he was trying to machine a new shaft uh, in the middle of the night so we could get running. Um, but yeah, I didn't want to break a shaft again. So we've, we've gone to a full two-inch shaft. Uh, so we bored out the weapon. We made kind of all the, all the miscellaneous parts for Warhawk. And then I sent, uh, we sent, I sent Josh back on the plane and they don't weigh your carry-ons. So Josh was carrying probably 120 pounds of steel in his carry-on between <laughs> the weapon was in one, like in his backpack. And then he had like a, you know, a roller bag that I think he had to throw away when he got home, I would guess, because it had so much stuff in it. Um, so yeah, we made all those parts. Um, the, the team put, put Warhawk together, got all the testing going. Uh, and again, you saw that big E-Tech hanging out the back, uh, Vex BBs, uh, to run it. And I don't remember, I do, I know that we were sharing heart, you know, we were sharing motors and stuff because, uh, what makes it more complicated is Emmanuel and I come back from China, kind of like the fifth day of filming of season three. And we're like, we're back. And, uh, so I don't think you see us in any of the, um, like the photos, the team photos that show up on the website, but you see us all the time, uh, in the field. So, uh, so I brought with me Vex BBs and I think I brought Magmo. I think, you know, I brought a bunch of spare parts for Cat King one, mainly the Vex BBs were, were like a big shortage. So I stripped them out of the China bot to bring here. Um, but we had to fly back to China like there was like the finals of season three and then we were flying back the day of the finals or something crazy and we had to take all our parts back um so we got to see uh the warhawk versus um uh that flipper the one not as good as hydra help me out here folks sub-zero no 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 Right, right. Okay. Sub-Zero also is not as good as Hydra. Sorry, sorry, Alex, but, um, but <laughs> um, okay. Anyway, the one everybody used to think was the best flipper until, until there was Hydra. Bronco. Bronco, that one, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, so I got to see that fight. Then we all got on back on the plane. And, uh, but yeah, that was, that was a crazy time because we were in China fighting robots. Then we were at BattleBots. Then we were in China again. We flew back and forth to China three times. John was doing the same thing with his megabyte and gigabyte. Uh, we were running robots on two continents almost at the same time. Um, fortunately, those designs had a, had a wide degree of, of, you know, interchangeable parts. And I'll say the other big motivation for the, uh, the kind of three, the modular, uh, design was first of all being able to swap in whole different weapon systems uh we have a uh you you've probably seen a manual run uh his lifter um bot at in florida right yeah uh so that's that's one of the modules from cat king 1.0 uh and he that part of that is one that that i think purdy made for uh, for Warhawk, but part of it is, is parts from the, from what we took to China. And 
we were doing, they did some kind of crazy exhibition match where celebrities were driving and we're all like, okay, take the spinners off, right? <laughs> put in the, put in the flippers and grabbers. So we set, uh, set Cat King up as a, as a flipper at that point, had the celebrity driving it. Um, you know, no robots could be harmed in this, in this uh, scenario. Uh, but so that's, that's another bot Emmanuel is, uh, has been involved with is the, uh, the heavyweight flipper that I think he's run. I want to say he's run it as a 220. Um, and you know, you we may see him uh, with that. You know, control bots are really interesting. I know he's really interested in that. Um, but that was the uh, the drive pod. I think that was the drive pods, unless he's upgraded it. At one point, it was going to be the drive the the brushed drive pods uh, from Cat King 1.0. Now. Another reason for the modular thing, being able to swap in weapons is great. And typically you'll see us with three different weapon pods. At, uh, you didn't see it run at season, uh, last season with, with Mad Catter, but um, we had another module for Mad Catter, um, which was uh, a flame jet with, uh, you know, with a big plow on it for horizontals. And we never ran it because we never faced the horizontal. Um, but we were ready to swap that module in if need be. And man, we had so much fun with that flamethrower. We were hoping to, uh, you know, you saw our little three pound flamethrower. This was that, you know, times 11. So, uh, we were really hoping to be able to run that flamethrower, but, uh, you know, there, there wasn't, there wasn't a horizontal, so there wasn't any call for it. Um, the other reason for the module is a practical one. We got to ship these robots all over the world. So we designed the robot so that each module would fit into the 50-pound uh, airplane limit, and we could fit it into standard luggage. Now, I'll say, the plow module we usually have to ship as a, as a sculptural artwork uh, because we can't fit that one in a bag. Uh, but we've been able to ship the robot in pieces, and that way we're not having to deal with crates and all that nonsense. It's really nice to just take the robot in pieces in your luggage, put it together when you get to the venue. So I, I, you know, I am completely sold on that. Um, it also means when you take damage, you can work on one module separately from the others. You can swap in a whole module as opposed to having to, to really rethink the whole robot. Um, so Warhawk 1.0, you know, I messaged, I emailed Rob, Emmanuel talked to the guys. They were gangbusters about wanting to do it. Warhawk did great its first season. Uh, great fights, made it to the field of 16. Uh, you know, Rob is such a calm, collected driver. He doesn't show stress at all. He's always thinking, you know, I, I have tremendous admiration for him. Uh, and Purdy is a fantastic mechanic. He runs that pit so well. Um, and then they've had Kevin who kept, uh, you know, Warstop is, uh, is just, the best mini bot ever, right? It is. And yep. uh, you know, Kevin deserves huge kudos for that. I think it's the only the you know, only mini bot to actually win fights. It's everything we want our little mini bot in season two to be. And uh, he's put so much thought into that. Uh, and I don't, you know, I don't know if we'll see a reappearance of it or not. Um, I know Kevin's got all kinds of plans, so I, you know, we'll let him him share that with you. But uh, you know, they a really 
a, a team with deep talent. They brought in some new people this season. And this most recent season, uh, you know, they did a redesign. You can see that uh, Mad Catter and Warhawk don't look anything alike at this point. Um, so Emmanuel, well, he did design both bots. And you can see a lot of the same philosophies on trusting and, and oh, I want to tell another quick story uh, and give credit to somebody else. You know, I, I, I've gone to doing all my bots out of uh, AR-400 plate welded together. And uh, that really comes from a conversation I had with Orion Beach. Uh, we do an event called Wasteland Weekend. And crazy event. I encourage everybody to do it. We do a 40-pound power wheels class, um, tip, you know, really low tip speed limits. But we fight it. You know, you can imagine if, if you're a Mad Max fan, we fight it in the equivalent of a Thunderdome, and it is just absolutely nuts. Uh, so, so Jerry from Ghetto Robotics runs that event, um, yep. and so I, you know, I've been doing that event for years. That event is just absolutely over the top. Probably the best spectacle of a combat robot event you can imagine. And I've been to BattleBots, I've been to, to all these events in China, and I gotta say, the Wasteland spectacle tops them all. Um, it is it's absolutely crazy. So, uh, I, 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 Ryan, I talked to him there. He'd come off uh, the design that he'd done for season two for Scorpios uh, as, a, as an AR plate welded robot, and he said, that's the way, to, way forward. And he really convinced me. So we've we've gone to that model of laser cut. Well, originally water jet, now laser cut flat AR weld vents, weld everything together in our shop. Um, and you're seeing more and more robots do that. I'm clearly not taking got full credit to Orion for for turning me onto it. But it lets us prototype really quickly. And you see that construction in Warhawk and uh, Cat King, Mad Catter. So. Next steps, Warhawk, Mad Catter look different, right? Mad Catter is our Cat King version 2, except we decide, hey, you know what? BattleBots is renewed. Let's, uh, let's make an all-new, you know, we've got these drive pods. We've got a boat ton of these drive pods. Uh, let's make a new hammer module for these drive pods, throw it together, see if we can do BattleBots. And, and, and I'll say, pretty literally, we just drove up and said, hey, Greg, we got a working robot. Do you need another robot? And he said, yes, I do. So, you know, we're in way in the back of the pits, and, you know, we're an alternate alternate. We pretty much just showed up with the robot on the back of the truck, and, uh, you know, we put it in the test box, showed Peter that it made a lot of noise, and, um, you know, drove well, very aggressive, a lot of fun as a robot, um, and. So, you know, like I said, we were alternate alternates. We ended up getting four fights, which no complaints here. Um, and just, you know, that Mad Catter was really a let's have fun with something. And, you know, we thought we're not going to, you know, we're not going to run another vertical. We That's what we're running in China. That's kind of that thing. We want the battle bot, bot to be different. So that's why we designed that hammer. Now, how'd the hammer come about? Well, um, well, at our local events, there's a, a, a fellow by the name of Calvin Iba, and Calvin has just, you know, been dominating the uh, the 3-pound beetleweight scene around here, and yes, he's been traveling have. around and doing really well all over the place with his 3-pounds. And I said, Calvin, 
do you want to design a hammer module? And he said, yeah, okay. So Calvin started cutting the hammer. We got a manual involved. Um, and I will say, you know, both of those guys worked really hard. We knocked out that hammer module in, I don't know, a couple, I want to say a couple weeks. Um, got parts to the laser cutter, welded it together. But that hammer module was built super fast. Um, it runs off of three... Uh, 6374 brushless motors all geared together and uh, and I think I think switch gets some credit because uh, I've seen Kev Kevin run switch at business fighting robots I got to know him there but I don't think he was gearing together brushless motors at that point uh, but you know he he'd, you know we've been in correspondence I was trying to get some some Gears, you know, mod mod 1.5 gears or something like that that I was having a hard time sourcing. He offered to source. Anyway, he and I talked pretty often. He posted up how he was going to do his uh, hammer weapon mo his hammer weapon motor module, and I thought that is the way forward. So we just we you know knocked that that like that that module just a few weeks, painted it. Um, You'll see my daughter does custom paint jobs on all the robots. So anytime you see kind of a crazy paint job, she's been painting the robot since she was about 12. And they keep getting, you know, wait till you, you know, you'll see, you'll see Mad Catter this year and it has got, it's got the craziest paint job ever. So, uh, you've seen some preliminary, uh, photos of the, the kind of red and blue, uh, dip paint job, but the, uh, the plow module is a work of art, right? Museum worthy, I think. So, uh, definitely disturbing. And uh, so we, we threw the hammer module together, brought it to BattleBots, had a great time at BattleBots, um, and we fought, uh, let's see, we fought BattleSaw, and uh, I think that was, you know, that was really just, we had a few pounds left over. Now, there's a story there. We were originally going to run a mini-bot with, uh, with Mad Catter uh, called Towbiter, and Towbiter got started as a mini-bot to go to China that Jason Vasquez from Team Fast Electric designed. So Jason designed this robot, and uh, I built a bunch of it. Uh, I, I remember I machined the chassis, I made the weapon for it, and then Jason and Matt, Matt goes to school at Cal Poly, which shares a border with us. Uh, Matt was a senior in high school at that point. They came out for one day, they built Towbiter, and man, it was a mean little uh, undercutter. So think 12, 15 pound undercutter, uh, kind of like Remora that, uh, ran in the, in the, uh, Chinese shows, uh, and, but just something designed to eat wheels. And it had, a about a four pound AR, um, undercutting disc on it. That was just perfect for taking out Colson's and, and all the other small rubber wheels you see. And, you know, kind of zero ground clearance. Great, great little robot. Uh, we ran it, he ran, Jason drove it at the, uh, NTMA 15 pound event. And I forget whether he, I think he took second. He lost to, um, oh, the fellow from Seattle who has just an amazing magnet bot. Uh, it's a wedge with like, I don't know, 60 pounds of downforce or something. Um, but he, uh, I think he won that event. And I think, I think, uh, I think Tobiter took second as a 12, if I'm not mistaken. So, you know, we had this mini bot all ready to go, 
But, you know, we get there, and your robot always gains weight. Now, I'm convinced our robots, our robots don't gain weight. What they do is they eat the souls of their defeated opponents, and that just weighs on them. So uh, we weren't making weight with the minibot. We threw together a, a little tiny uh, three-pound, we took a D2 kit, strapped a flamethrower on it that we 3D printed on the, on the Lowe'sbot 3D printer that we got from, uh, from Lowe'sbot when they sponsored us. They sponsored the Warhawk team, rather, um, and throw that, threw that uh, flamethrower on there. And, man, in that first Battlesoft fight, amazing flame effects, right? Just lit the whole bot up. Um, so that was and, – and that was – oh, boy, I'm not going to remember. My names are terrible. Um, the young lady from Warhawk, who's an amazing driver, uh, and sorry, Tommy, best driver we've ever had on our minibot. Um, Samantha. So Samantha drove the uh, drove the minibot in that in that Battlesaw fight, and just fantastic. Um, and then we uh, we lost Samantha, uh, and we had I think well, I hope I'm not running things together. I know Samantha drove a D2 with a flamethrower on it at some point. Um, we had Tommy Thomas driving it uh, in most of our fights, and that D2 came from. I think, well, I don't remember whose D2 it was, but boy, that poor D2 went through a lot because it went through four fights with heavyweights and kept getting rebuilt. Um, but we had, you know, didn't, didn't get a lot of good flame action on the, um, on the, uh, the, the second fight we had. Um, but we fought Ragnarok and again, just absolutely lit Ragnarok up. Uh, and so we had, you know, and then uh, we also had there was some, and I again when we fought Monsoon uh, and Ragnarok, boy, great flame shots from that little uh, little minibot. Um, so you know we had a great time with Mad Catter, really fun bot, easy to put back together, and you saw it get get blown apart when we fought the uh, the Chinese egg baiter that uh, that Elaine was running, and you know. But literally, we had it back together in, in an hour or so. Uh, we went through a lot of thinking about how much flexibility do we want and, uh, you know, kind of went through some different iterations about fasteners and, and, and that sort of thing, but uh, pretty much had it sorted out. And it, we did come apart fighting Monsoon, but, you know, that, that sort of should happen. If you're going to take that much punishment, taking that many hits from from monsoon i you know i expect the bot to come apart at that point um because that you know if you saw us after that the the rumble with monsoon and chronos and ragnarok we were in just little tiny pieces um so you know it was a great season for us that last fight uh with monsoon and uh, and and uh jerry from uh from team ghetto robotics was great uh, you know, what a great way for us to end the season, a really active fight. You know, we're still driving around on two wheels, are hitting, hitting the monsoon with our stub. Just, you know, we had, couldn't ask for a better finish for the, for the season for us. Um, so what I, I talked to you a little bit about our relationship with, uh, the Seattle folks through a manual. Jerry, I knew from doing, both his local events and the Wasteland events. Um, 
it looked like Jerry wasn't going to have a team this year, so we invited him to be part of uh, of Team Bad Kitty this year. Uh, but you know what? There may be a surprise. We, you know, we, who knows? He may be here with uh, with a robot of his own. Which, oh my gosh, I hope so because Jerry is the best full body spinner driver there is. Now, I'm going to say Megabyte, amazing robot. But what Jerry can do with a full body spinner, his intuition is is second to none. So I really hope uh, he gets something going this season. So I'm going to take a breath. Any follow-up questions on any of that? Professor Mason, this is Chris. Yes, Chris. I um, I was actually hoping that you would entertain us with a lightning round of listener questions. <laughs> okay. All right, I'm going to fire them off. Ready? Yeah. Our first listener question comes from James Williams, who asks, would you ever consider doing commentary at local events? <laughs> well, I, I mean, of course I do local event commentary. Yeah, no, I, I uh, when we can't get, well, honestly, we usually get Bradley, and I said Brad is, is the best commentator there is, and, and you know, BattleBot should be calling him, I think. But, uh, sorry, Kenny, sorry, Chris, but, uh, you know, Brad is where it is. But uh, I'll tell you what, usually we run three arenas, and so I'm usually doing commentary at, at one of the arenas while Brad's doing the other. Uh, I love doing it. I, you know, I got to admit, I get distracted. by. Uh, but, you know, part of the fun is telling the story of the robots during the fight. And, you know, sometimes things get a little slow. You got to liven it up. And also kind of getting the competitors pumped, right? That's, that's all part of it. Next question. Heck, yeah. All right, the next question is from Nelly, the Ellibot captain, Sarah Malian, who asks... In all caps, so I'm gonna do I'm gonna do the service of reading it in caps. The internet said Nelly is cuter than Mad Catter. So when are we gonna fight in the box over it? For clarity, I have not specified whether this is you and I or our bots. Well, I'll, I'll start by saying one of the reasons I quit doing Demolition Derby is I wanted my body out of the car. Um, so. <laughs> Yeah, I, I would love to see Nelly the Smelly Bot anytime we're ready. Uh, I just feel bad for Nelly the Smelly Bot, but, uh, you know, we'll bring some clothespins. We'll do what we can, uh, you know, anytime. You know, and the Internet says a lot of things, you know, and, and I'll say, you can't believe them all. Uh, you know, Nelly is, is a, is, I'm sure, has some good... You know, it's like it's like you have three kittens and there's an ugly one. I'll just leave it there. Oh, 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 shots fired. I have a question from Malice Captain Bunny Soriel who asks, how did you get to be such an awesome captain with uh, followed by five cat emojis with hearts in their eyes? <laughs> well, you know, so I'll tell a quick Bunny story. I've known Bunny from years. She's, she's been involved in RoboGames, but... Uh, you know, I will say, Bunny was one of our unspoken heroes. I, I haven't talked much about uh, King of Bots 2, which we did this last year. Uh, and I'll say, first of all, uh, doing we, we've done two events with the King of Bots management company. They're a great group of people. Uh, they have really done a tremendous amount to promote combat robots in China. And I got to say, Chinese builders, I had so much fun getting to know the Chinese builders. Uh, I, I spent a, a lot of time with them, obviously, but I got one of them to take me on a tour of the uh, 
the Shanghai kind of dark and dirty shops where you get bearings and get your titanium cut in the back room. Man, that was great. So, so, you know, shout out to all the Chinese builders. And, you know, the King of Box folks are really trying to do the best they can, but I will never work for Chinese government television again. I'm not going to be shy about that. Uh, you know, that, that was a complete mess. I'll say the first show we did was working for Yuku, and that was amazing, uh, a great experience. The show was crazy. Um, and I want to separate out the, the, the management company, the promotion company that's really trying to do a lot. So, but I do want to say, we went to, to King of Bots, uh, and weird, crazy experience. Uh, Bunny was there with another team, and there were some things that happened with that team. Uh, and Bunny was, you know, Bunny likes to fight robots. She's there to build. She's there to be in the competition. So she was feeling like she was, you know, she didn't have anything to do. So I said, Bunny, help us out. And so Benny, Bunny helped reweld our robot. She was indispensable in putting things together because uh, that was a crazy situation where I couldn't, I wasn't really allowed to be by the robot very much. So I had my team, Emmanuel and Bunny and Trent and uh, and Kenny uh, and, uh, and and Bunny's friend. All, all of them were the ones who carried that robot. Um, and so she, Bunny is amazing. She is one of my favorite people in Combat Robots. And I will say she just makes everybody happy. You know, she brings everybody in the room up. And I am so thankful that she's part of this sport. What do you got next? That's well said. All right. The next question I have from Nelly, the Elibat tactician, Rira Granger, who wants to know, this is a big one, one-on-one -on -one in the squared circle, that's right, in the ring, you versus Paul Ventimiglia, no holds barred, who wins? Well, I, I fought Paul in RoboGames uh, with, uh, and I think that was where we lost in the quarterfinals. Uh, with our 120, and he was running, uh, what I want to call it, it was like uh, Little Canary or Tiny Bird or something like that. I don't know. He had some some little robot. And um, anyway, Paul is amazing. He is, first of all, so professional at everything he does. I I'll say he borrowed some red Loctite from me, and then like two weeks later, I get a bottle of red Loctite in the mail. That's Paul. He is so professional, and he also surrounds himself with really good people. Um, I've had a lot of great conversations with, with Paul about his philosophy of building, and he is so careful with detail. And I will say, you know, I, I talked about trying to be really well prepared for events, and, and really I, I got a lot of that from watching Paul, just making sure you pay attention to every single detail on the robot so it's all going to work. We all I know I tend to get in a rush, I get stressed, and you let little details slide, and I just, I see Paul as the consummate professional. So, so far, I'm 0-1 against Paul in Big Bots. Um, you know, Bike Force, what can I say? It's a copy of the uh, you know four-wheel drive vertical that we ran in uh, in BD6. Um, no, it's not a copy of that. There, you know, it's, it's like saying uh, all these things are the same. You know, that's Bike Force is the meta design. 
and I will say Paul deserves a tremendous amount of credit for how how innovative he is with his attachments. Also, his driving is almost always on point. And, and, you know, he is just, that robot is a work of art, and he pays attention to every single detail on it. I don't, you know, I, I like to win fights, so of course I don't want to fight Mike Force. Mm. All right, I got several questions here from uh, our one of our super fans and BattleBot super fan, Mary Catherine Carr. You ready for this lightning round? You bet. All right. If BattleBots were slightly more like the WWE, what roles would your fellow Roboteers fill? I know some are already filling roles like Ray, possibly the nicest guy in the face of the planet, being a villain. Uh, okay. So, you know, I look, I, I think we took Mad Catter out there to be a villain. I think there needs to be more personality in BattleBots, right? You, you know, we, we are not afraid to talk trash about other robots, particularly because they are trash. We need more dumpsters in BattleBots. I tell you what. So you know, I think you know th this sport is more fun if we're having more fun with it. So I'll tell you what. I'm going to get out there. I'm happy to get in people's faces. I love working with with Tim Rackers. You know, the fighting Ragnarok was funny. It was fun. I wish I wish he'd had the robot run a little bit better. But Tim is a great personality, and you know, I think this is it. It's, it's get people more fired up. Get them to, to, you know, have a little more character, a little more personality that people can identify with. I think for the sport to thrive, people need to identify robot franchises. Captains are, are you know, we're somewhat important, but everybody needs to put on a show for this to work. And, you know, I think we're seeing a lot of that with some of the new builders. So I think you're going to see a lot more this season, a lot more personality, a lot more action. Right. No, this is something, and I'll, I'll I'll just quick go down a rabbit hole. This is something I'm always talking about when we uh, when we when we're talking with uh, with builders and building a brand for yourself and and making yourself identifiable and like adding your own charisma to like your team makes you stand out, gets you fans, and elevates the entire sport. So I actually I really admire you as a captain, and uh, you know I hope more teams actually bring that kind of energy. Just you know I think the. the Promotion part is hard. Uh, you know, I am, I, 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 and I'll say to give, I want to give Brad some more credit. Uh, Brad Hempstead, when we did season two, Brad was really great about approaching sponsors. Sponsorship is a huge part of making this sport work. And I'll say, you know, I, I was lucky because I've essentially been sponsored by China, right? I've had two Chinese TV shows and that's given me the funds to build uh, to build robots and kind of keep this going. Um, and so that, you know, I, I've been lucky to get that, get that sponsorship. Um, Brad was really, and Emmanuel has also getting us sponsored by Mixon, getting us sponsored by bot kits. Um, you know, bringing in sponsors is, is an incredibly important part of making this all work. Uh, and it is work. So, you know, it's, it's also offering your sponsors something so they feel like they're getting value. Uh, you know, we've had Shark Machine as our sponsor. And, and I think that's another part of BattleBot. Why do it? It's, it's a tremendous, you know, I bring a lot of young guys onto my team, a lot of my students. I try to have one or more of my students on the team every year. And my goal really is for them to job out. You know, they, they make so many connections at BattleBots, and they end up going to work in, and I'll say, at least 
you know, at least three guys who've been with me on teams are now working industry directly on jobs they got through being at BattleBot and, and their jobs they want to do, right? The companies that are sponsoring us are doing the kind of cool stuff that, that folks want to be doing. So it's, it's sponsorship is important. Promotion is important. Having a brand is, is and I, again, that your very confusion shows that I'm not that great at it, right? Team Bad Kitty, uh, you know, you, I guess you get busy fighting and running events and you neglect the promotion thing sometimes. Um, and it's just, there's only so many balls you keep in the air. All right, I got another question from Mary who wants to know, can she get a video of Mad Catter acting very cat-like, knocking things off tables, bringing you dead robots, asking for a friend? <laughs> All right, well, I'll tell you. Yeah, so Mad Catter is, um, is, is sitting in the shop. It's all put together. Uh, and we're just, we're just waiting for the, you know, for the green light on the new season. It's, it's uh, you know, we are it's that close to being green lit. And, uh, you know, so I, I think our, yeah, the problem is uh, we're going to be doing a big move coming up in, uh, in about three weeks here. We're going to move Mad Catter out of my shop on campus to my shop here at home. Um, just because I'm really worried if COVID keeps going, it's going to be really hard to work on the bots, uh, particularly since the campuses are all closed. So, so yeah, I think you're going to see some more promotional video out of from us after we get that move done. Kind of so probably you know second third week in August you'll see some promotional video from us. And uh, you know, Mary, we've got two cats at home. We've got Rocket. We've got Booster. Uh, they knock lots of things off tables. Um, I'll see if I can at least get you a picture of them climbing on the robot, Mary. Um, but, uh, yeah, they, uh, and, and honestly, the cats are absolutely unafraid of the, uh, of the robot <laughs> as they should be. Well, Professor Mason, thank you so much for, for joining us today and bringing the energy. We loved hearing your stories. This was a real blast. Uh, we all had a great time. I, I've been sitting here with Lindsay and we've just been smiling, hearing your stories. It's, uh, it's been a ride. All right. Well, hey, thank you very much. We'll see you next season. It's going to be amazing. The fights are going to be intense. There's going to be fire. There's going to be flame. Some of it will come from inside the robot. Thank you, Professor Mason. Behind the bots, out. Welcome back from the break. Time for Robots Around the World. This week, we're traveling to the University of Washington, where researchers have built a robotic camera so small that it can be placed on the back of an insect, which wears it like a little tiny backpack. The camera weighs about 250 milligrams, or about one-tenth the weight of a playing card, and streams black and white images to a nearby smartphone at up to five frames per second. The researchers say their tiny camera could help entomologists better understand the lives of insects and, you know, probably also the lives of uh, people in their homes as the little uh, camera flies fly into their bedrooms. Just saying. Well, I'll finally know where that spider went after I took a swat at it and missed, and then it just kind of scurries about plotting its revenge. <laughs> uh yeah, I mean, this uh, clearly has lots of applications. Uh, what do you think about it? It bugs me out. 
I just think that, um, I mean, this is really cool. It's like a, a little bug GoPro, which is neat in and of itself. And, you know, who knows what, what flies do during the day other than come very close to my ears when I'm outside in the garden. Um, but maybe they're up to interesting stuff. I, I don't know. Or maybe they uh, will get into interesting stuff now that they have cameras and show us a little bit more about what humans are doing. What is this, a camera for ants? <laughs> <laughs> did I do it? Did I make a joke on this this podcast? You did a good one. Yeah. This is the one scenario where we hope that the camera doesn't add five pounds. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that would be very bad for that tiny little fly. I don't know. What do you think? I have uh, one of those nifty bug assault guns. Have you seen these? Oh, those are crazy. With the yeah, salt? they're like shotguns. Yeah, they're like shotguns for salt, and uh, they're specifically for fly killing. Um, I would love to see what it looks like from the fly's perspective when uh, that thing goes off. Kyle, I have so many questions. Is it is it a shotgun shell that's filled with salt instead of pellets, and you shoot it out of like a twelve gauge in your home? Is oh it my a goodness. dedicated no, gun? No, what it's is going much on? more akin to a Nerf gun, but instead okay. of a Nerf dart, you fill up the hopper with salt, and then when you cock the gun, it loads a a like lot of salt into the shell or into the chamber, <laughs> as opposed to uh, you know, a dart. And then when you fire it, oh. you've got an effective like three foot range Kyle, uh, for killing Kyle. a fly. Kyle, you're just showering just salt all over your kitchen. Is that right? That is accurate. Yes. <laughs> yes. I mean, salt is easy to clean up, you know, and you want to sweep up the dead fly anyway. So you're going to sweep that area. Uh, the problem that we have is that we purchased this item, or a friend of mine purchased me this item, at exactly the same time that my daughter during quarantine has decided that all bugs are her friends because she can't hang out with her real friends. Aww. Yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's real cute until you know you have ants in your kitchen and your daughter's like, "Don't sweep up Auntie and her friends." Oh, I relate to your daughter. <laughs> how, how, how have we moved away from the salt gun so quickly? So you're sitting on the couch watching TV and you just see a fly just doing its fly things and you just just aim it and, and you're, you're shooting salt in your living room. Yes. And holster that you always keep on you on your <laughs> no, belt. It, stays, on your it lives on top of the fridge, guys. When you, when I'm in the kitchen, this is the scenario, right? I'm in the kitchen. I'm washing dishes. All of a sudden, a fly buzzes by my head, and I go, "I'm gonna get it." And you know, assuming my daughter's in bed, right? That has to be the first prerequisite. I run to the fridge. I grab the salt gun. I cock it. I turn on the laser because it's got a laser <laughs> sight. Okay. And then I stalk the fly around the kitchen, waiting for it to either buzz in a certain area long enough that I can fire at it, or it lands on like the soffit or maybe one of the cabinets, somewhere where it's gonna like be stationary long enough to get a bead on it. And then I point the laser just above it because if you put the laser right on it, it flies away because it doesn't like getting a laser shot on its eyes. <laughs> Who knew? 
and then you fire. Kyle, and sometimes fire. you miss, and your oh. wife makes fun of you. Uh, but more often than not, you just knock the fly out of the air, and then you sweep up the mess. I, I love that out there, somewhere out there, you have scenarios where just like Mr. and Mrs. Smith, you you hit a you hit a button for a trap door for a salt can to drop out above your refrigerator. You're doing tumble salts and you're just you're just slaughtering flies left and right. And that makes me that makes me happy. Only when I my daughter is asleep. But what I'm saying is we gotta get this camera on one of these flies because I want to see what that looks like. I totally forgot about the camera. All right, <laughs> wait a second. I, I'm just imagining just great mounds of salts on your kitchen floor. Just it looks like sand dunes in my mind. No, <laughs> no, 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 no. Salt no. everywhere. Each each shot is probably like if I had to guess, like an eighth of an ounce of salt comes out of each <laughs> shot. So it's not a lot. You know what I mean? I'm not like launching a shot glass of <laughs> salt at, at into my wall every time. It's a very small amount. Uh, so really, for, for ultimate home defense, then, all you need is this salt gun and a, and a bo bottle of pepper spray. <laughs> yes, as long as I'm fighting food, I will be fine. Well, that's about it for us today. We'll be back in your feed next week with another mystery guest. See you then, folks. Bye. Bye. Bye-bye.